Hey everybody, welcome to Caring Into the Void, the podcast where me and Brock Wilbur every week try to figure out the, the lighter side to some pretty dark or weird stories. I'm Jordan Shively. I'm Brock Wilbur and I'm here to help with that thing. Uh, <laughs> we love to invent a new intro every time. That's one of our favorite things to do on the show. Maybe we should um, write one down one day. We needn't. I, I appreciate how off the cuff we are and I think people react to that. <laughs> Some good old-fashioned stumbling and stuttering at the beginning of a podcast. How how are you mental health-wise this week? Oh, uh, yeah, let's move into the podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm doing great. Um, just a lot of work came together at once, so just feeling that, that kind of that drowning feeling. Uh, on Friday, I had a thing I've been working on for nearly a year canceled on me. Uh, and oh, uh, was it the book? No, it's a different thing. Okay. Uh, but uh, I feel like at a different point in my life, uh, as as did everyone around me, uh, I just would have uh, started making a beeline for my veins. Uh, and I didn't this time. And instead it was like, oh, okay, well, it was kind of a kick in the dick. Uh, let's see what happens. And then spent the weekend not thinking about it. And then started this week by being like, oh, wow, uh, a, an amount of pressure that had been crushing me into a sad diamond for the last year is just gone and I can, I own the project. I can take it somewhere else later when I want to revisit it. Uh, it's, it's maybe the first time that I've taken disappointment well in my entire life. And I attribute some of it to doing this show. Like I was like, you know, what? I've got this point in the week where I've just got to reflect on how happy I am. And I've never had that before. And I've never been not that sad before. Like I, I, I feel like we're learning. Saying no can be huge sometimes. It, it can be, and I'm learning that. <laughs> like not having to do everything at once. Yeah, uh, and uh, I my my biggest problem with it was that like people that were involved with it, I was like, uh, there's a responsibility to them, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna find a different home for it in like a month when I can like deal with the thing. And for right now, I can just focus on some other stuff and like feel good again for the first time. Like I watched. Uh, last Jedi last night and for the first time in maybe a year didn't feel like I was doing something wrong for not spending <laughs> my time on one of the projects you get it I know you fucking get it oh 100% man yeah and I was like oh like this is my favorite movie now it's not my favorite movie it's just the only movie experience I've had in as long as I can remember where I just wasn't uh, under a uh, cloak of guilt or whatever the D&D name for, would be for it. Uh, and um, it's a, a cone of guilt. The cone of guilt. Sure. <laughs> so plus uh, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Plus plus five and minus five. So, Jordan, what is your story for this week? <laughs> this week, I'm moving away from the supernatural and the scary just because I read about something that was just so fucking cool. I had to talk about it. And it's the okay. it's the fact that the CIA had spy ravens. <laughs> they had gangs of ravens that were spies in the Cold War. And that is also the most D&D shit I've ever heard of either. Wait, so like uh, crows or murder, what are ravens? I think it's I think they lumped them in there. Oh, uh, like a murder of ravens as well. Um, I'm sure we will be quickly corrected in the comments, but I've always thought they kind of lumped those taxonomies together. A group of ravens is called an unkindness. An unkindness? That's even better than a murder. Or a conspiracy. A conspiracy or an unkindness. 
Somebody has Google open right now. <laughs> Look, I'm never gonna. I'm I mean, never gonna fact check anything else you do. But an un, an unkindness of ravens is pretty great. It's also that his name on my side project band. You know, or Icelandic doom fuzz. You definitely made up your own language to go with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's a lot cooler than like what a group of chickens is called. And that's a bucket of chickens. You're fucking kidding me. No, yeah, I am. <laughs> God damn it, you are on a kick tonight. You have got me, sir. Come on, I'm not going to name it after, like, fried chicken. <laughs> I felt for a while like you were pulling away from me, but now you're doing a different thing where I think you're dunking on me. Uh, I prefer this. <laughs> yeah, so during World War II, there there was these two guys named B.F. Skinner and Bob Bailey, and they trained ravens, cats, pigeons, and even dolphins to spy on the Cold War adversaries after World War II. It was during World War II that Skinner received defense funding and he was making a pigeon-based homing device for missiles. The birds, they said, were going to be housed in the nose cone and their pecking would activate the steering engines. Not unsurprisingly, that was never deployed. So at least we didn't... Sorry, sorry walk me through that. So the bird it, is in the nose cone it, and they're pecking... And it's a, it's a homing pigeon, so it yeah. knows where it's going. So that it was going to control the directionality? Yeah. Or when, okay. or when, maybe when for the thing to activate, like it would know where it was supposed to go and oh. it would peck it at that moment. And then the missile would go and like zoom down from free fall. That's, that's but, so much darker. But at least, you know, a lot of bad stuff happens in war, but at least we didn't let pigeons drive missiles, you know, at, le oh at least, at least God. we missed that part, that historical moment. So they never used that, but that project captured the imagination of two of his graduate students Keller and Marianne Breland, and they left his lab where he was teaching in 47 and went to Minnesota um, and started Animal Behavior Enterprises, or known as ABE, who they at first they mo mostly worked for General Mills and they trained like animals and chickens for commercials and feed county fairs. So they were doing like, you know, this make this chicken eat like it's the name of Olin Mills out of the feed, you know. Um, so I, I, I'm so fascinated just by this, the idea of uh, an in-house animal training company that was in service of in-house marketing. Yeah. So they were training a cadre of animals for, <laughs> for General Mills. And then in 1955, they moved to Arkansas and opened what they called the IQ Zoo, which is possibly the <laughs> worst cover name for a secret spy zoo ever. That's like the name as if Q from James Bond and Dr. Doolittle made a zoo together. But where the visitors would go there and basically they would watch Skinnerian conditioning and action. Um, even they even had basketball playing raccoons. So it was like a they basically started like a little farm where people would go and watch what we now watch as memes and vines, but live. What? So they had they had they had the, so the, at this point in the story, they have their live meme farm. And then in 1965, the other guy who became a bit, who had been, Bailey, who had been pursuing his own biology animal type degrees, agreed to join them and started working with them in their hot springs animal behavior enterprises. But not long after Bailey joined, suspiciously, they began hearing from various government agencies, the CIA and the Army's Aberdeen Proving Ground and Limited Warfare Laboratories. Bailey says they came to us to solve problems. It was the height of the Cold War. Um, and so, and he, so they mostly focused on ravens as spies, 
um, because they were like the smartest and they were really actually strong. Uh, They could learn to respond to classes of objects, he says. If you got a big desk and a little desk, you could train it to always go to the small one. They can also carry... That's such a weird note. Yeah. Well, I think they were saying, like, this guy, always like, the person whose papers we want the Raven to steal is always in the small desk, and the big desk is the unimportant stuff. Or always it, or always go to the big desk. Don't go... Don't bother with little desks. Given um, a week, I would have not have put together that as the, the thing, and that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> they said they could pick up weight, weight, heavy weights, like packages and file folders... He said you would watch a raven coming in its beak like with three file folders in it, which, I mean, <laughs> makes sense with the stories you hear about ravens stealing metal things and stuff. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. It was also during that time that like they proved that they, they, he says there was nothing, not a single type of animal that could not be trained by them. He said they developed like a codified versions of training every single type of animal. And if they wanted to do like, even at the same time, they're using their cover of training animals for commercials and for this IQ zoo. He said, if we had a new person come in and we're like, we need to train this cockatoo to ride a bicycle. We had a file for that of exactly every step you take to train a cockatoo to ride a bicycle. He's like, if it was a macaw, get the other fucking file because it's different. Uh, another thing that's like kind of... I- I just don't know why they didn't just train nothing but badgers. Just a whole army of honey badgers with every skill set. Because we learned... They're impossible to kill. We learned our lesson at Salamanstron. So, (laughs) um, yeah. They also... And this is a kind of like a dark side of this. As if they're... As if this wasn't kind of already kind of shady. They did... Sure. They had a project called the Acoustic Kitty. And they trained a cat to focus in on sounds over everything else. They said they don't know how they actually did it, but through their training, they could get the cat to only pay attention to sounds, not even really sight. And then they very unethically implanted this cat with sensors and recording equipment, and they could direct its attention with ultrasonic sounds, making it turn and focus in different directions based on what sound was being emitted. So the cat would go in and have this transmitter inside of it, and then they could be like, beep, beep, turn to the head to the left. Beep, beep. They basically made a really sad bionic cat. Not like a cool robot cat. <laughs> they made like the really sad one that like, it's basically, I really doubt, had a long life expectancy. Ugh. They also trained, were training bugs. They were, they were trying to use mosquitoes to like track where people were because they would fly towards pe- hidden people. And they trained spiders. They said they never had a good use for it, but they could, with a laser could train a spider to cower. So they, they bullied spiders with lasers, which is kind of shitty. Um, but to recap all that, it's just kind of incredible how they zeroed in on the exact right stimuli to basically reprogram nature and tap into how nature programs and adapts itself. And that, that ability to see the programming nature is what leads me into the carrying into the void moment for this. Okay. Everything we do is in some way a reaction to the stimuli provided by the actions of others, our environment, our media. Some of these forces are purposeful. Some of them are as steady and inert as the continental drift. But if we come up with a way to codify them, to map their traceries through the paths of our lives, to see the points where they intersect with our actions, the neural star maps of our ever-expanding experiential universe 
then we can hack them. We can keep the ones that are helpful and we can lean full into their influence and double down on our own desired Pavlovian mental events. And we can excise the ones that mean us ill. We can lure them out of the shadows where they conspire to twist us into whatever image serves their purpose. And in those moments, when they think us walking to the tune of their making, we will rise up and we will show them how very wrong they were. We can become a symphony of calls and responses that best suits the being that we want to inhabit. I'm always very happy to do this show with you. <laughs> you blow it, you blow it out of the water every week. I'm Pasha. There, there's, there's an <laughs> Jesus. Come on, man. Uh, <laughs> there's an element of this that you would think that there would be some sort of line between the animal and the insect. But like, I, I guess you're right. It's all impulses. You figure out the code yeah. to breaking nature, then you break nature. Or you figure out the code of how nature breaks itself to adapt. Right. Because they're just figuring out the impulses that these things use in nature, but then like codifying them and using, turning it into like a little Mintat computer machine. This is one of the first ones on the show that I'm like, I can't wait to get off the show to go look into this oh, yeah. because I want to learn how to break myself via the same code. If you want to read the, a huge story on this, go to the Smithsonian.com and there's a really great article by Tom Vanderbilt where he goes deep in depth about these people's careers and like where they studied, what they did, how they did it. And that's where I got a lot of my source from this week. What are you going to talk about this week, Brock? Uh, what I have to talk about is a thing that I've been shouting about, so it's not a surprise. Uh, it's twins in space. Uh, so here's the thing that happened. Uh, Scott and Mark Kelly are identical twin brothers. Uh, and then Scott uh, spent the last 340 days on the International Space Station. Uh, and when he came back to Earth, which he did this week, he's two inches taller. And his DNA is now different than the DNA of his twin brother, which my wife loves a good astronaut's wife style story about, like, well, something's going to burst from his chest. And I was like, do you even think he has a human chest anymore? Uh, so uh, his body mass decreased. His gut bacteria are, are is completely different. Uh, and the gene expression has changed significantly. So it's sort of this, like they're, they're identical twins. And it's the sort of thing that like uh, the DNA changed so much that like in a year or two, we'll be able to see them be visually different from each other. Uh and that the uh, the physical mental stresses Scott Kelly uh, spent in his year in orbit may have activated hundred of what they call space genes uh, that alternated the astronaut's immune system, bone formation, eyesight, and other bodily processes. Uh, and some of these will return to normal when he's back on Earth, but a lot of them won't. Uh, and so I was reading into this, and I... I, I it, it just keeps going in that very funny way that you brought up too, where you're like, oh, this isn't the best name for what you want to do for your secret society thing. Uh, so Scott spent a year on the space station as part of a NASA project called the Twins Study. And you're like, okay, well, that, I guess that defines what it is. Uh, he flew up in 2015, uh, <laughs> and most, most uh, astronauts stay on for six months. He stayed on for a full year. Uh, and his brother is also an astronaut. So, like, his brother also has, like, space DNA that's been activated, but, like, different space DNA because, like, no one's ever been up that long versus their twin. 
Uh, he's taller. He has different responses to emotional things at this point. And they're just both sort of stuck in a test chamber somewhere right now. Uh, they did like a, a quick press interview and then they were escorted away, which it was uh, kind of even like a sketchy press interview where it's like, that was too few questions. Please let those men see their wives. Uh, so science fiction is correct. Science fiction is correct. Like the expanse uh, and Warhammer 40 K with fucking space Marine space genes is real. <laughs> uh, and I'm very and, happy and about you, this, by the way. <laughs> I am too, but I also just like, uh, so the, they're trapped in a place right now where 200 scientists from 30 states are uh, are taking a look at them before they'll be out to talk to the public again. Uh, and I wonder about the convert, like, I want to, the, the stupid goddamn playwright major in me uh, wants to do the play about the two of them sitting, waiting between tests, where one of them, the one that was in space longer is like, Maybe I'm like a god now. And the other one's like, fuck you, Greg. You're still just my stupid idiot identical brother. Uh, but this all hit at the same time as I'm finally booking. Uh, I'm going to uh, PAX East in Boston video game conference. I'm going to do uh, some talks there about my forthcoming book. Uh, and I've never been to Boston. And Boston goddamn terrifies me it's always terrified me uh mostly from a stand-up comedian perspective because everyone's just been like when you go there they're gonna tear you to shreds it doesn't matter if you're not their drinking buddy they're just gonna scream at you and then hurt your feelings and maybe hurt you physically and so i've always feared it from that way and now i'm going there in a different way uh and part of it i i see reflected in in these guys's journey and just how it lined up so my carrying into the void this week is Please seek adventure wherever it may take you, especially journeys that promise to change you in the process. Use your wings to soar and see the world from a new angle, especially if it involves literally adapting into a creature with wings. Your majestic span casting a shadow of the tired treading of where you once treaded and opting instead for new landscapes where angels fear to tread and boys fear to linger. Seek out a new point from where you can look back at the lands that you had trod and determine whether there is a new high ground or if this is just a journey and a welcome reprieve and start the cycle anew each time with your heart and your wallet and allow yourself to venture forth, taking with you each time a new starting point and allowing the validation to reestablish an appreciation of your DNA and of what makes you the creature that you agree to become. May you never find total comfort, but forever be slightly out of alignment so that your search can show you the entire field of play along with the high ground and the low grounds, and may that vision change a small piece inside of you at each turn, that you ever evolve into newer and more complete, or at least completely heightened versions of the original code, forever revising in ways that they will not see coming. Whoa, how did our stories kind of match up? They really did, right? What the fuck? Because <laughs> we don't tell each other what we're going to talk about before we do the show. Which, this did line. <laughs> I mean, we're waiting for we're waiting for the moment when we both have done the same story, but I, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a weird one. But you and I are so different; we'll do completely different carrying into the voids. It'll be nice and fun and interesting. Space genes, damn! Space genes, space astronaut twins, uh, ravens with multiple file folders. This is, we are, we are hitting a stride here on the show, and I appreciate you all for listening. <laughs> what is your self-care into the void this week, Jordan? Um, this week, I haven't been really great about my self-care, 
I've been kind of burning the candles on both ends, almost dropping it down into the furnace altogether. But I did take a step towards something. I scheduled a, a moving van so I could go to the lumber yard and get some wood to build shelves to better organize my house because I have stacks of books everywhere and boxes of books and it gives me an insane amount of anxiety to be in the middle of all this clutter. So I'm going to take care, take a step to shape the structure of my environment away from something that actively stresses me out. Are you also a guy that's just, it's, it's like piles of books in corners. Oh yeah. Everywhere. It's, I, it's wait, ridiculous. I, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to not be this and I don't know how to not be this. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I'm trying. Luckily it's only books. I don't like, have a clutter of everything it's not a hoarder it's like a hoarder who only has really nice books but he has a fuck ton of them is it is is yours um just the nice books or is it sort of like a do you have the separate pile that's like the to-do list of books and that's what makes that one hard because you're like i can't put that in mini storage somewhere i'm supposed to read these (laughs) i have an entire shelf that's like books that i've bought on like occultism in Anna Green Gables for a project I'm working on. <laughs> You're always so specific, and that's what I appreciate about you. Gotta have a point of view. Gotta have a point of view. Um, we hit on mine, and you called it out for what it is, uh, an ability to say no. And I've never had it in my life. I've, I've always said yes. And, and overwhelmingly, I still see that as the thing that people advise other people to do is like, say yes to every project, say yes to everything. And like, I, but then you end up doing some of them shittily. I, I don't, I, I don't think I do anything shittily, but I do think that I, (laughs) I let uh, it seep into who I am. And then I'm like, well, what, what I don't, I, I never do the project shittily. I, I then make my relationships shitty. I, uh, I then I'm, I'm a huge piece of shit, terrible husband to my wife for weeks on end. And like, okay. Yeah, don't do that. The book turned out fine. uh, But (laughs) the project of this forever relationship that we agreed on, not doing as good at that. Saying no, saying no is such an important thing. And figuring out how to say no is an impossible thing. Uh, And, uh, and, and, and as I was starting to say, like a lot of people like say, you have to say yes to everything. Cause if you don't say yes to everything, you won't get your dream projects. And I'm like, what fucking nightmare person are you that, that has the 24 hours in the day to do this? It's, it's bad advice. It's genuinely bad advice. And I think it took until 33 for me to figure that out. Uh, so say, say no to something, but also my, my carrying into the void this week was about like, I'm, I've been bad at travel. I've never left the continental United States. I've, there's so many cities I've never been. And I've been a touring stand-up comedian. I haven't seen certain coasts. I haven't, I haven't met people outside of a very small bubble of things. And I'm trying to make it uh, make sense to me at this point in my life to be like, there's X amount of money here. Use some of it to go see something. So say yes to travel, I think, and, and be willing to say no to a lot of other stuff. And, and honestly, uh, Jordan and I, when we started this project, I think both had the inclination to maybe say no to it because we were both like, I'm just flooded with stuff right now. Is this a thing we can do? Yeah, I'm, I was very stressed out about having time to we, do a podcast. We, we both were. And we were like, what if we did the 20 minute version of it once a week or kind of every two weeks, basically whenever it like lines up and still it it becomes a thing that like he has to rush home from work. And I'm like, well, let's figure out my thing, too. Uh, and 
we we enjoyed doing this show. Please rate and review the show. Let us know if you enjoy us doing this show, too, because if you don't, we won't do it. It's very easy. So um, where can people find you on the web right now? I am at Brock Wilbur. Uh, I have a bunch of stuff coming out at Paste and at Zam right now. And I am now the new weekend editor at the UK website, uh, Rock Paper Shotgun, uh, which uh, is a video game community I've always loved. And uh, I really love working there now because I've worked a lot of corporate gigs lately uh, where that's one of the ones that I've actually read things from. It's good. And it's good because their their overwhelming uh, editorial bent is a. if you give a shit about this thing, write about it. That's the only reason we would write about things because uh, people will tell what you can care about. And like you writing about me writing about player unknowns, battlegrounds when I still haven't played it won't, won't sell with anybody. Me writing about some weird little twin peaksy PC game. People are going to connect and I'm having a lot of fun doing that. So come check out my work there. Jordan, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at hottest singles. It's the Twitter account known as Dread Singles. You can see some of the stuff I um, design at voidmerch.threadless. And then I've just started actually streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv backslash Jordan Shively. How good are you at Hyperlight Drifter? Um, I think I'm really bad at it, but I am excellent at making, touching tips of my guns to my partner's gun. And then (laughs) before we go into a dangerous room, our characters look each other in the eye and we go, hey, you're going to make it. You're going to get out of this. And then we make them smooch. So I don't know if that's what I, I, I don't know if that's what Hyperlight Drifter is supposed to do. But check out the store that Jordan built for us that has um, merch for this show, which me and my wife now own. Yes. Repping it. Repping it. All right. So we will see y'all next week. And until then, remember to keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth mini and sharp. Thank you guys for listening. Good night. Good night. Talk to you later.